If we haven't met, my name's Alan, and uh, it's good to be here again. Uh, let's pray again as uh, we come to the time where we think about what God has already said to us. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your scriptures. Thanks that we uh, can read them. Thanks that we've got so many different Bibles we can buy and read. Thank you that your word is so accessible. Father, help us now to think about what you have said, that we might live lives that honour you as our Lord and God and King. Amen. When you know what's going to happen in the future, that changes what you do in the present, sometimes radically. In three minutes, a bomb is going to go off in this building. I'm sorry, we can't fix your tumour. Yes, I'll marry you. If any of those things were true, what we do next is profoundly changed. We'll all be scrambling out of this building as fast as we can. We'll be trying to work out what we'll do with our remaining weeks or days of life. We'll start organising a wedding. When you know what's going to happen in the future, it changes what you do in the present. Now, God has secured our future. He has guaranteed a place for us in the new creation And that changes what we do in the present, sometimes radically. It'll change how we prepare for death. It'll change the conversations we have with one another. It'll change what we do with our families. God's future impacts our present. Genesis chapters 37 to 50, which is sort of where we're looking at this morning, it's all about God securing the future for his people. And these chapters are a great picture of what God has done for us in Christ. There are so many parallels. But what God did back then in Genesis is blown out of the water by what he's done for us in Jesus. It's a bit like comparing cars. Uh, I'm told that technically the Holden Gemini is a car. Uh, So too is the Datsun 180B, apparently. But when you compare them to the Porsche 911 Turbo, Now we know what cars are all about. Well, the same sort of thing happens with God and what he did in Genesis 37 to 50. Uh, We're going to see God secure the future of his people by saving them from disaster. But it's just a hold in Gemini compared to what God did in the death of Christ to save us from disaster and secure our future. Because in Christ, God has eternally secured our future. And his future radically impacts our present. So let's look in and have a look at Genesis. Uh, Last week we looked at, hopefully you remember, God watching over Jacob. Well, chapters 37 to 50 is more of the same, but mainly this time it's in terms of his sons. Now, Jacob's got 12 boys. One of them, though, is his favorite, and that's Joseph. The rest of the boys, they hate Joseph for it. They even sell him as a slave to get rid of him. You might remember uh, Joseph's colourful coat and how the boys uh, tipped animals' blood all over it to uh, try and trick their dad that Joseph was actually killed by a wild animal. Well, Joseph, he ends up in Egypt as a slave, but eventually he ends up as second in command of all of Egypt. Pharaoh makes him the ruler of Egypt and God lets Joseph know that there's going to be a famine in a few years. And so Joseph stores up heaps of food so that they'd be ready for the famine. But the famine doesn't just affect Egypt. It affects Jacob and the rest of the family back in Canaan. And so Jacob sends his remaining boys to Egypt to go and buy some food. Now when they get there, 
they don't recognize Joseph, but Joseph recognizes them. But instead of getting revenge, Joseph looks after his brothers and the whole family. Turn across to chapter 45 and verse 3. 45 and verse 3. This is the scene where Joseph shows himself to his brothers. Uh, And in this scene, we're told why all of this has happened. And it's because God sent Joseph ahead into Egypt so that he could save his people. God was looking after. He was securing the future of his people. Chapter 45 and verse 3. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. And when they'd done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there's been famine in the land and for the next five years there'll not be plowing or reaping But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. You see, God knew that the famine was coming and so he sent Joseph ahead to Egypt in order to save his people. Now, this isn't to say that what the brothers did was good. No, no, the brothers were evil. But God was so powerful, he is so powerful, that he can even use evil to save his people. He can even use sin to secure the future of his people. And look, what God did back in Genesis, it's very impressive. But in the end, it's only a Holden Gemini. Because it's this exact sort of thing that happened to Jesus, but it's much bigger. People actually engineered the execution of the Son of God. And yet even in this, God was acting to save lives, to save sinners, not just from a famine, but to save sinners, people like you and me, from God's own fury and hell. As Christ suffered at the hands of evil men and died his death, Jesus took the place of sinners so that he could take away everything we've ever done wrong and enjoy God's forgiveness and salvation, eternal life and blessing. See, just as God knew that the famine was coming, he knows his judgment day is coming, and we need saving from that, and so God sent Jesus ahead of us to save us. And so in Christ, God has secured our eternal future. Heaven is our home. And when you know what's going to happen in the future... Well, what we do in the present changes. When Catherine said that she'd marry me, uh, all of a sudden I'm thinking about the reality of married life. Uh, we started relating differently. Uh, we, we interacted with our parents differently. Uh, when knowing the future, well, it impacts the present, doesn't it? Well, God has secured our future in Christ and that should transform our present. Just like it did for Jacob. Uh, in a moment, we're going to look at Jacob uh, living for the future that God had in store. Uh, Jacob had seen God watch over his life. Uh, We saw lots of it last week. God's doing it again in these chapters, saving his family from famine. And Jacob knew that God would always watch over his family until all of God's promises were fulfilled. And so Jacob lived for that future. And Jacob's an example to us. In Hebrews chapter 11, we're told we should be taking a leaf out of Jacob's book. Now, he not only made sure his hope 
was in God for the future. He tried to get others to join him. He tried to make sure that his son Joseph would put his hope in God because it didn't look like Joseph would. Uh, Earlier in chapter 41, uh, we see Pharaoh make Joseph ruler over all of Egypt. And as Joseph takes up his role, he begins to walk like an Egyptian. I'm not going to do the dance. None of that going to happen. Uh, The way Joseph dresses, uh, the woman that he marries, what he names his kids, it seems as if he's put his father's family and their God behind him. For example, he wears Pharaoh's signet ring. He wears royal Egyptian robes and gold chains. His name is changed to an Egyptian name. He marries an Egyptian woman and she's none other than the daughter of the priest of Egypt's sun god. Uh, He has two sons with this wife and he names the first boy Forget because he wants to forget his family and the trouble they brought on him. And he names his second boy Fruitful because he thinks uh, his life in Egypt is better than what he had back in Canaan. You see, Joseph seems to have swapped the promises of God for the pleasures of life in Egypt. And so just before he dies, Jacob summons Joseph because he wants Joseph to remember that his hope for the future, it doesn't lie in Egypt, it's back in Canaan and in the promises of God. And so on his deathbed, Jacob talks to Joseph about lots of things and it's all to try and make sure that Joseph will put his hope in God. And what Jacob talks to Joseph about were actually helpful things for us to remember as we live for the future that God has in store. Got to point two on your outline. And the first thing Jacob does is lead by example. Uh, Jacob tells Joseph that when he dies, he's to be buried in Canaan, not in Egypt, because Jacob's hope is in God and the promises of God, not in Egypt. Have a look, chapter 47 and verse 29. Chapter 47 and verse 29. When the time drew near for Israel, that's just Jacob's other name. When the time drew near for Israel to die, he called for his son Joseph and said to him, If I've found favor in your eyes, put your hand under my thigh and promise that you will show me kindness and faithfulness. Do not bury me in Egypt. But when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. I'll do as you say, he said. Swear to me, he said. And then Joseph swore to him and Israel worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. See, God had promised Jacob the land. That's where God's people belonged, and so that's where he was to be buried. Even in his death, Jacob was showing that his hope for the future lay in God and his promises. And we can do the same in our death. For example, have you put much thought into your funeral? Because a funeral can say a lot about where your hope for the future lies. I can remember my dad saying years ago that at his funeral... We were to sing, when I survey the wondrous cross. Dad was making sure that when we came to his funeral, people would sing of the death of Christ. Have you picked out the songs or the hymns that you want sung at your funeral? You can also choose what part of scripture you want read and explained. Pick out a part of the Bible that you love and that teaches people really clearly that for hope even in death, We need Jesus. Uh, We can also chat to our family about the sorts of things we once said at our funeral. Uh, You can tell them you don't want the focus to be on you, you want the focus to be on Jesus. 
And of course, the best way to influence what people are going to say about you at your funeral, well, that's the life you're living right now. Because if you're obviously living for Jesus in the now, then when people come to summarize your life, well, they'll have to tell people about Jesus. And then there's our wills. We can include organizations that clearly serve the kingdom of God in our wills. So why not give some of your estate to a missionary college, a missionary organization or a theological college? Even in our death, we can show that our hope is in God and in the future that he has won for us in Christ. Jacob's next attempt at realigning Joseph towards God was to remind him of God's promises. Chapter 48 and verse 1. 48 verse 1. Sometime later, Joseph was told, Your father is ill. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, along with him. When Jacob was told, Your son Joseph has come to you, Israel rallied his strength and sat up on the bed. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and there he blessed me and said to me, I'm going to make you fruitful and will increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples, and I will give this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. These are the majestic promises of God that we've sort of been, rem- been reminded of the last two weeks. And Jacob reminds Joseph that these promises are for him and his descendants, Joseph included. And Jacob's reminding Joseph of these majestic promises to make sure he doesn't turn his back on them. And we should be doing the same. We should be reminding each other of Jesus who's fulfilled the promises to try and make sure that none of us miss out. See, that's why coming to church week in, week out is so valuable. Being member of a small group, talking to each other over morning tea and supper, regularly reminding each other of the unique authority and the unique importance of Jesus. And of course, it doesn't have to be a formal setting like church or a small group. Uh, It can be uh, ringing each other up, uh, bumping into each other down the street, having each other over for a meal, what we choose to talk about with one another. We can be reminding each other of what God has in store for his people. And if that sounds a bit awkward or funny or I couldn't do that, we need to sort of ask ourselves, why is it that way? Because we're in this together, aren't we? to be reminding each other of what God has stored up for us in heaven, doing what we can for each other so that no one misses out. Jacob's next uh, port of call for Joseph was to chat about his kids. It went to the heart, struck at his family. Uh, Jacob included Joseph's two boys into the promises of God. And the reason why he did this was to help Joseph see the importance of living for God's future. Uh, Chapter 48 and verse 15 Uh, Jacob's got his hands on uh, Joseph's two boys in 48 verse, verse 15. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly upon the earth. What Jacob's doing here is he's including Joseph's two Egyptian sons into the promises of God. He wants Joseph's family to enjoy the blessings. 
And so the way Jacob thinks about his family clearly shows us where his hope lay. And of course the same should be for us, shouldn't it? If you're a mum or a dad, we should be bringing up our kids to know and love Jesus. We need to be talking to them and teaching them about Jesus and the hope that we have in Christ. That makes family devotions a bit of a priority, doesn't it? And quick word to the dads. If you're the dad in your family, the onus is on you to make this sort of thing happen. God wants dads to take a stand and to lead their families. Now, if you're sitting here and you're thinking, well, I'm no good at that sort of stuff, and my wife, she knows more than me anyway, and she can do it better than me, it's time to stop hiding behind excuses. If you really don't know that much, and that's why you're reluctant, well then start reading your Bible and some helpful books and grab a family devotion uh, book out there. There's that many different types. There's all sorts of resources out there to help us. Or if you really are just no good at sitting around and leading your family in a discussion, that's okay. God doesn't ask us to be good. He just tells us to get in and do it. But if it's just laziness then it's time to be a man about your family and fight for their spiritual life. If your hope is in the Lord and the future that he's secured for his people, pass that hope onto your family. This sort of thing doesn't disappear when kids leave home either, does it? We need to be talking to our adult children about the things of God. Now, that might be awkward or strange in your family, but that's not a reason to stop being concerned for the spiritual well-being of your adult children. And this isn't just for mums and dads, is it? Jacob, he was looking after his grandsons. If you're a grandparent, then you need to be thinking about how you can best encourage your grandkids to love and serve Jesus and put their hope in him for eternal life. And of course, kids themselves, we have a part to play. Whether you're a child at home still with mum and dad or you're a child and your parents are still alive, but you've left home, we need to be trying to help each other to serve God. Because it's only through the death of the Lord Jesus that we have the hope of eternal life in the new creation. Salvation and blessing are ours only through him, but because of him our future is certain. And so we live for him now. The last way that Jacob tried to orientate Joseph's compass towards God was to do with the promised land. Uh, Canaan was the land for God's people, not Egypt. God would one day give it to their descendants. And as a down payment, Jacob gave Joseph the one bit of the promised land he already owned. Chapter 48 and verse 21. 48 verse 21. Then Israel said to Joseph, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and take you back to the land of your fathers. And to you, as one who is over your brothers, I give the ridge of land I took from the Amorites with my sword and my bow. See, Jacob's wanting Joseph to look to the land God promised them. It's like he's saying, Joseph, God's going to get our family back to that land. And the one bit of it that I already do have, well, out of all my sons, it's yours, Joseph. You see, Egypt wasn't to be Joseph's home. Canaan was. And in the end, Joseph did look to God and his promises to the land of Canaan. You can read about that in chapter 50. But for us, it's not about Canaan, is it? 
there's no need for us to sell our homes and go and live and then die in the Middle East. The promised land of Canaan was a Holden Gemini picture of the new creation. Heaven's our true home. And we live for the future that God has in store for us by not holding on to life in this world, not being seduced by the pleasures of this life, swapping our eternal inheritance for what this fleeting world can offer. We live with heaven as our home because only in Christ God has secured for us the future of eternal life and salvation and blessing. And so we live now for the future God has in store. One of Australia's newest sporting heroes is uh, Casey Stoner. He's actually riding this afternoon in the Australian MotoGP Grand Prix. Uh, three weeks ago, though, Casey Stoner's already wrapped up the World 500cc Motorbike Championship. This is the most prestigious bike racing, uh, road bike racing competition in the world. And Casey's taken it out at just 21 years of age. Now, what you might not know about Casey is what his family has sacrificed for him to have uh, this riding future. See, the legal age for riding road bikes, uh, to race road bikes in Australia is 16, but it's actually a lot younger in other countries. Casey was showing a lot of promise before he turned 16, and so just after his 14th birthday, his parents decided to sell up, pack up, and move overseas so that their son could one day become a world champion. They lived out of a caravan as they lived in England, and all for the dream that Casey would make the big time. Now that is a family living for the future, isn't it? Resign from your job, sell your home, leave your family and your friends. Sounds like something Jesus would say, wouldn't it? Resign from your job, sell your home, leave your family and friends. That is an amazing dedication. And it was all for a world championship that might never have come off. And in the end, really, what's a world bike championship compared to eternal life in the new creation? For the Stoner family, they lived for a temporary future and they took radical measures. But heaven is certain, it's forever, and life in the new creation is truly glorious. So as you live for God's glorious and permanent future, what radical measures are you taking? Because God has already sewn up our eternal future in Christ. And so let's live for what God has in store. Because when you know what's going to happen in the future, it changes what you do in the present. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for Jesus that you sent him ahead of us to save us and that in him we know your forgiveness, your salvation, your blessing and we look forward to even more on the day he returns. Father, you have secured our future in him and we thank you. Help us to believe that he really is the King of kings and Lord of lords who really has eternal life for us, that we would live for him and for the hope that you have stored up for us in heaven that can never perish, spoil or fade. Father, thank you for all that you have done for us and will do for us. And we pray that in wisdom we would live for your future. Amen.